there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Fenula waded listlessly across the unbroken surface of the cold waters of Loch Darvreek. The sun had yet to rise, and the air was bitter cold. Hurry! I'm trying! I'm still not used to these webbed feet! Since finding themselves in their current unfortunate predicament, they had learned that the best grass for eating was on the south bank of the lake, They had to get there early if they wanted to enjoy breakfast. Soon after the sun rose, bugs and water spiders would swarm the bank, nipping at the children and leaving them with itchy welts that they had no way to scratch. They ate in silence, still struggling with the mechanics of eating with a bill instead of a jaw. Finula shook her head as she saw her brother, A, dribble juicy kelp down his plumage, They had a lot to learn about being swans. As the sun steadily crept up over the western horizon, Finula led her brothers away from the south bank. They would return tomorrow for another tasteless meal of slimy, soaked grass. It had been one year since their stepmother had turned them into swans. There were only 899 to go. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our second episode on the Children of Lear. Last week, we told the story of how the Children of Lear... Finula, A, and twins Fiacra and Khan came to be cursed by Aoife, their father's wife, who was jealous of them. This week will cover the 900-year period during which they were condemned to live as swans. After she placed her terrible curse on Lear's children, Aoife continued on her journey to the castle of her father, Bove Dirug. The castle is in sight. Slow down, men. I would have words. Aoife gathered her men around her and drew her wand made of gnarled wood. A light shone dimly from the wand's tip, captivating every man who laid eyes on it. 
Look here, all of you. Look into the blinding light of my wand and forget all that has transpired since we left the castle of Lear. As the witch spoke, the men in her entourage entered a hypnotic trance. The memories of the last few hours, the way that Aoife had ordered them to murder the children, and the curse she had cast upon them, slowly faded from their memories. When Aoife stopped chanting, the men shook away the cobwebs and resumed their journey, oblivious to the spell Aoife had put on them. Not one of them could say what had happened to Lear's children. As far as they were concerned, they were still safe at home in their warm beds. Soon, Aoife and her men reached her father's castle. Bovdirug met them at the gates and demanded to know what had become of his grandchildren. Lear had sent a messenger in advance to inform him of their imminent arrival, and yet here was Aoife, and the children were nowhere to be seen. Aoife tried to spin a convincing lie. The children have not come, and I suspect they never will. They detest you, father, as does Lear, and for good reason. He will not risk exposing the children to your corrupting influence. He thinks you want to turn his children against him. Aoife spat these words with immense venom, each one striking Bovdirug like a knife to the heart. He and Lear had quarreled in the past, but he had been convinced that was all behind them. After all, Lear had married not one, but two of Bovdirug's daughters. For many seasons now, Lear and Bovdirug had spent extensive time in each other's company. Bovdirug loved Lear's children as if they were his own. Indeed, there was nothing more precious to him in the world. No, Bovdirug could not believe that Lear had turned against him again. Something was wrong. He looked to his daughter, suddenly suspicious. Bovdirug was no fool. He knew of his daughter's craftiness and of her potential for wickedness. He would get to the bottom of this. He sent his daughter away, playing the part of a broken, sad man. As soon as she was out of earshot, he sent a messenger to Lear's castle, asking about the status of the children. Once Lear received the message, fear gripped his heart. His children should have arrived at Bovdirug's castle with Aoife, but they had not. Something was terribly wrong. Gather the men, all the horses, and send riders out to all corners of Ireland. The children must be found. Lear led his riders on the trail in the direction of Bovdirug's castle, hoping to find some sign along the way to point to what had happened to his children. As he passed the shores of Loch Darvreek, he began to slow his pace. He heard something, something familiar through the mist that surrounded the waters. Is, is someone there? Who is singing out on the lake? Father? Is that you? Children, I hear your voices. Stay there, I am coming. Lear jumped from his horse and ran to the edge of the lake, scanning for any sign of his children. But they were not there. Instead, he saw only four beautiful swans coasting about on the water at the shore. 
Just as he was beginning to wonder if he had imagined the voices, one of the swans opened its beak and spoke. It is us, Father. We're here. Finula? My daughter? How does the voice of my lost child come from a bird? It is us, Father. Aoife tried to kill us. When she could not bring herself to do the deed, she turned us into swans instead. To think that my own wife has done this to you, and that I was the one who entrusted you to her care. But I can reverse this. I too possess the magic of the Tuade Dawnin. I will turn you back. Lear stretched out his hand over the children, seeking with his mind to unravel the strands of energy that ensnared the children. He clenched his jaw, beads of sweat dripping down to his brow. But try as he might, he could not undo Aoife's spell. Alas, it seems I am not up to the task. But I will not give up. I will gather mages from every corner of the world until I find a way to undo this vile spell. For now, you must return with me to our home. Whatever form you take, you are still my children. We cannot be apart. It is not possible, Father. The same magic that has given us these forms binds us to this lake. Three hundred years we will live here before moving on. Lear fell to his knees in despair, realizing at last that the spell could not be undone. As he wept, his children began to sing. Lear did not recognize the words, for they were of the Gwaelga, the language of the swans. But it was the most beautiful sound that Lear had ever heard. He and his men slept soundly on the shores of the lake, while the swans continued their melancholy tune. The men were lulled into peaceful dreams that were far nicer than anything in the waking world. In the morning, Lear awakened to find his body filled with a new vigor. I must go now. For you, my children, I will return to this place every day for as many years as I have left so that I may not miss a moment more than is necessary. Where are you off to? To find Aoife. To render justice. Next, Lear takes his revenge. Now back to the story. Lear's wife, Aoife, had grown jealous of his affection for his four children from his previous marriage to her sister. Hoping to remove this distraction, she sought to kill the children. When she could not bring herself to do the deed, she cast a spell on them instead, condemning them to live as swans for 900 years. Lear saw no way to turn his children back to their natural form. He was resolved to suffer along with them, knowing he would likely die before the spell wore off. But he was not helpless. He knew he could still get some measure of comfort by seeking revenge against Aoife. And so he gathered his men and traveled to Bovdirug's castle. When Bovdirug saw that Lear had arrived without the children, he was filled with anger. 
For a moment, he believed that Aoife had spoken the truth and that Lear had intentionally sought to keep Bovdirug from his grandchildren. But just as he was preparing to declare war on his old friend, Lear embraced him, filled with grief. Stay your anger, friend, and direct it at she who deserves it. It is true, my children will never visit these halls again. I was blind to the truth. My children have been turned into swans of the purest white by the most vile of magic. I tried everything I could think of to rebuke the spell, but to no avail. My children are lost to me, all at the hands of wicked Aoife. At Lear's words, Bovdirug dropped to his knees and cursed the heavens. In his heart, he had suspected Aoife's treachery, but he had hoped he was wrong. He ordered his guards to bring Aoife before him, but they returned from her chambers empty-handed. Aoife had fled. But Lear and Bovdirug would not let her get off so easily. They led a platoon of armed men out into the woods of Ireland, seeking the rogue witch. Ultimately, they found her, hiding in a dark and putrid bog. When Aoife saw that she was surrounded, she surrendered without a fight. She knew that now that her crimes were discovered, she would never have Lear's affections again. She was filled with spite and fury toward Lear's children. Even as swans, they were more dear to him than she had ever been. Take me back to the castle, to the dungeon. Cast me in and throw away the key. Torture me, maim me, kill me even. There is nothing you can do that will reverse the magic that I have cast. They put the witch in chains and took her back to Bovdirug's castle. Though all were concerned about what was to be done next, Aoife was right. There was no amount of punishment that could reverse the spell. After much deliberation, she was brought before her husband and father. Lear could hardly contain his rage as he spat his accusations at his wife. Today you answer for what you have done. I have already answered for that. I have lost the love of my husband, who now looks on me with naught but hate. You speak truthfully of your own misdeeds, and yet you seem calm. Do you not regret your actions? Me? No. The only one who should bear regret is you, Lear. You were the one who pushed me to this. Your neglect slowly drove me mad until all I could think about was my sister's children and how they sought to rob me of your affection at every turn. They sought nothing. They were innocent youths. They trusted you. And that was their undoing. And your great failure, Lear. I know I am condemned. Cast your sentence, lop off my head. Just let us be done with it. Death is too good a punishment for you. Your actions have condemned all to suffer. The children suffer as swans. We suffer, for we can no longer count them among our own kind and will die before we can see their true forms once more. You will be transformed into something as wicked as you are for the rest of your days. And what form have you decided I shall take? That we leave to you. Tell me, hated wife, 
What is the worst creature you can imagine? Aoife thought on the question for a moment, contemplating this choice. She knew that she could not stand before the combined might of Lear and Bovdirug. She had no recourse but to play their game and make her choice. A wind demon, a banshee of the skies, formless, powerful. My scream shall cast across every border of Ireland. It is done. Lear and Bovdirug thus combined their magical might. Before Aoife could make any move, her flesh began to fade away into the ether, revealing pulsing strips of red muscle. That, too, vanished into the air until only a skeleton was left. The jumble of white bone collapsed with a final scream as it, too, dissolved into thin air. What was left was a formless mass of screaming air, which wailed as it shattered the windows of the castle and set off, never to be seen again. Justice was rendered, but both Lear and Bovdirug felt nothing but emptiness in its wake. There was nothing more to do but grieve. Both men gathered their respective forces and journeyed back to the shores of Loch Darvreek, so that they could sit by the water's side and listen to the songs of the swans. They stayed there for many days, and word of what had transpired traveled across all of Ireland. The Tua de Donan ventured to the shores, joining their king in shared mourning. The Milesians, the race of invaders whom the Tuatha had been at war with, also came to Loch Darvreek. A truce was struck so that both sides could hear the singing. It was agreed upon by all who sojourned there that the swan's song was the most beautiful music to have ever graced the green, grassy hills of Ireland. All who visited the lake found themselves unable to leave. They loved the singing of the swans so much that they refused to go back to their old lives without the birds' music. Soon, a permanent camp was established at the lake's shore as the swans sang on. Centuries passed in this way until, at long last, the children of Lear's 300 years on Loch Darvreek had come to an end. It is nice that we are able to sing for our former countrymen, though I fear that peace will not last. Our time nears its end. But must you truly go, my children? Yes, father. You know this. The magic that Aoife used to transform us is binding and unbreakable. And so, after 300 years of peace, it was finally time for the swans to take the next step of their journey. Farewell, father. Farewell, grandfather. Thank you for keeping us company for these past centuries. Now, we head to the distant, hazardous waters of Sru Namula. I fear this is... goodbye. <laughs> and with that, the swans took flight. 
the Tuaday and the Milesians watched in awe as the glorious feathered creatures made their way across the sky and vanished over the northern horizon. They finally arrived at Sru Namula, which today is the Strait of Moyle, the narrow channel between Northern Ireland and Scotland. Once there, the children of Lear suffered. They soon found themselves longing for the comfortable waters of Loch Darvreek, for what they had gone through was nothing compared to what they were about to face. This is terrible. Where are the fish, the birds, the grass that we must eat? There is nothing here but cold and death. The waters of Srunamula were nearly frozen. The edible grass was buried too deep for the swans to reach, and so they coasted close to the shores, slowly starving, but never dying. For as children of Lear, they were blessed with long life, and that near immortality persisted even as they were turned to swans. One night, many years into their suffering, they saw a violent storm build up in the distance. This will be unlike anything we've faced before. Come, brothers, we must plan. The children of Lear feared that the storm in the night might scatter them, so they picked a spot to regroup if they were separated. In the morning, when Fenula awoke from her sleep, her brothers were nowhere to be found. To make matters worse, her wings were frozen solid to her sides. Curse this infernal cold. Curse the witch that condemned us to this terrible fate. Curse all of it. The children could do little but float about, unable to fly. Fenula waded through the waters, searching for her brothers, until at last she reached the designated spot. There, the children were reunited, and together they waited for their wings to unstick from their bodies. Evil is this existence, the cold of this night, the greatness of the snow, the hardness of this wind. Things only got worse. One night, the wind blew the swans onto a rock that jutted out near the shore. The boulder was so cold that the children all froze to it. We will die if we stay here. I don't think we can die. I fear this cursed magic spell will force us to suffer forever, at least until the 900 years have passed. I would rather die than stay like this. Endure, my brother. Fight through the pain. We must escape. The swans screamed in agony as they peeled themselves from the rock, leaving scraps of feathers, bills, and beak still frozen to the boulder. As they touched down in the freezing water, the salt seeped into their open wounds, blinding them with pain. But due to Aoife's curse, they could not fly from that place to a better climate. They were doomed to suffer on that frigid, poisoned water. There came some relief, however, many years into their imprisonment at Srunamula. They were discovered by a pair of Tua, Fergus Ficolak, and A. Afosak, two sons of Bove Dirug, and therefore uncles to the children of Lear. 
Fergus and his brother brought tidings to the swans, letting them know that Lear and Bovdirug were both alive and well, though they still mourned for their lost children, even after all this time. But that news filled the swans with hope, the hope that one day soon, after the curse was lifted, they might know the warmth of their father's halls again. That hope would have to sustain them for many years, for the end of their torment was still many, many centuries off. For now, there was nothing to do but wait and freeze. Next, the swans live out the final stretch of their curse. Now, back to the story. After being turned into swans by their evil stepmother, the children of Lear spent 300 years imprisoned at Loch Darvreek. They spent 300 more years at the terribly cold Srunamula. Now, 600 years after they were first cursed and turned into swans, it was time for them to move yet again. It was at last time for the swans to venture to Eris Domnon, where they would live out the remaining 300 years of their cursed sentence. The sun, the warmth. I had almost forgotten what these things feel like. This will surely be better than our cursed centuries out in the northern waters. On the very first night in Eris, a chill wind cast over the land, freezing the lake solid. The pitiful swans were stuck to the surface, their feet stuck in the ice. They were trapped for days on end. No amount of struggling was able to help them peel their feet from the frozen tundra. At last, they cried out in desperation to whatever deity would hear them. Oh, gods of our fathers, and gods that may yet still make themselves known. If you exist, if you are real, please grant us the strength to survive through these final centuries of our curse. No one is listening. There are no gods. If there were, they would not have abandoned us to such a dismal place. Silence! It is in the darkest time that we must turn to whatever higher powers there are. Grace and faith are the only thing that will truly save us. After many hours of prayer, the clouds split in the sky and the sun shone down, melting the ice. After a while, the swans were able to float freely on the water's surface once again. Three hundred years passed as such, with the gods in heaven keeping a watchful eye on the swans and protecting them from the harsh fury of the elements. Finally, their three hundred years at Eris were over. The children of Lear felt the strange force that had bound them to the lake fading. But something was wrong. What is happening? What do you mean? Nine centuries have come and gone. The curse is lifted, and yet we are still swans. Why is this? Ugh, even nine hundred years later, cursed Aoife has found a way to condemn us further. Come, brothers, our father will know what to do. The swans lifted off, 
For the first time in their 900 years as swans, they flew of their own free will and not because magic compelled them to. The children of Lear had not seen their father for 600 years. They hoped that he had not forgotten them and that he would be able to help them discover why they had not reverted to their mortal form. But when they reached Lear's castle, that stronghold in which they had formed all of the happy memories of their youth, they found it abandoned. Vines and moss covered the stone surface. Father? Father? We have come home at long last. There was no response. Lear, indeed all of the Tua de Danen, had long since departed from Ireland's shores, never to return. Finula, A, Fiacra, and Khan were alone, as they had been for the last 600 years. They took refuge in the ruins of Lear's castle, keeping each other company and lamenting the time lost. They gave up all hope of ever seeing their father again. Many, many more years passed as such. With the two-a-day gone, the Milesians took control of Ireland. Centuries later, St. Patrick had come to the country, bringing Christianity with him. It was during this time that Mokivok, a holy man known throughout Europe, reached Ireland's shores and passed by the ruins of Shifinakai. The swans looked up as they heard the ringing of his famous bell. What is that sound? Do you not know? I would not ask if I did, sister. It is the bells of Mokivok, the Christian holy man. His bell is blessed by God and may be the key to our salvation. Come, fly after him. The swans took after Mokivok, catching up to him and singing their famous swan song in pursuit. What is that? Swans? Oh, God above, please show me where this music comes from. It is us, we swans. Do my eyes deceive me? I had heard the tale of the music of the children of Lear, but it was said that you departed from these lands long ago. We were forced away by a terrible curse, but we are back now, only to find that our father, all of our people, are long gone. I fear you will not see them again, but if you come with me, I will share your music with the world. For it is true what they say. Yours is the most beautiful tune that has ever graced this earth. With no other options left to them, the swans chose to go with Mokivok. He wrapped them in silver chains and carried them throughout the land. Sometime later, word of the swans' return to southern Ireland reached the king of Connacht. His wife and queen, Dyuk, became obsessed with the tale of the swans and their beautiful singing. She had never heard the song herself and wanted to experience it. I will send men out to all corners of Ireland to recover these swans for me. They will live in my husband's court and sing for me and my guests until the end of time. Dyuk sent messengers out to track down the swans and the holy man who carried them, but when the messengers found their quarry, 
the swans refused to return with them to Queen Dyuk's castle. Mokivok honored his charge's wishes and did not hand them over. The queen was less than pleased with the news. Gather our men, every last soldier. We shall hunt down this holy man and strike him down. Then the swans will be mine. Queen Dyuk's men gathered in force to hunt down Mokivok. And though the soldiers were frightened by the idea of killing a holy man, they were more frightened by the queen. However, when they first laid eyes on Mokivok and the swans, a blinding light shone down on the innocent creatures, as if cast by God himself. We are blessed by the heavens. Quick, away from here. Make use of the distraction. Agreed. Mokivok and the swans escaped in the confusion. The men returned to their queen and reported their failure. Ugh! Prepare my horse! If none of you are capable of capturing the children of Lear, I shall do it myself. Queen Dyuk then went after the swans and Mokivok. Before long, she caught up with them. Hold there, holy man. I am the queen of Connacht, and I would look upon those swans. Long have I wished to hear their fabled song. I do not answer to you. I answer to one power, a higher power, and you shall answer to him as well. These swans are the children of Lear, and they are free souls, not to be confined like common pets. Away with you. We want nothing to do with you or your designs. We have suffered as swans for 900 years. We would not be slaves to any man, king, or queen. Seize them! Dyuk's men quickly surrounded Mokivok and the swans. The queen then reached out and grabbed the chains that held the swans. You are mine! No, they are free! As soon as Dyuk laid hands on the swans, a great light shot down from the heavens. A rushing wind echoed across the grassy plain, and the last remnant of Aoife's magic was destroyed. The spell, at last, is broken. The feathers fell from the swans' coats, revealing soft, wrinkled flesh. Their beaks fell away, revealing lips, mouths, noses, and human eyes. <gasps> Within seconds, the curse had faded. The swans had vanished. In their place were four elderly humans, the children of Lear, all grown up. A gasped at the sudden feeling of fatigue in his old bones. I feel so tired. I could sleep a thousand years. Quick, Mokivok, baptize us. Baptize us. I feel that these human forms will not last long. Please, please ensure our place in heaven above. Quick, someone bring some water. Men, see to it. Do as the holy man says. I came here to see the swans. Instead, let us do one thing right. Let us see the children of Lear to heaven above. Dyuk had water brought forth, 
which Mokivok quickly blessed and sprinkled it on the children's heads. In the name of the Father above, I baptize you. Be reborn and rest at long last. We have lived nearly a thousand years as swans, but we die as humans and go to the arms of our Father above. Sister, I'm scared. Do not be, for we go to eternal salvation. And with that, the children of Lear passed from this earth. Mokivok saw them buried with the help of Diuk's men. And when the sun set that night, all of the swans across Ireland were silent. The Children of Lear is a fairy tale in the Christian tradition set against the backdrop of Ireland's mythological history. Its plot spans the centuries-long period during which control of Ireland supposedly shifted from the Tua de Donin, a magical race of godlike beings, to the Milesians, conquerors from Gaul who came to be known as the first humans of Ireland. Due to their long lives, the children of Lear act as witnesses to the decline of the old ways of the ancients, as well as the rise of Christianity in Ireland. While they are themselves offspring of the Tuatha it is only through faith in the Christian God that the children of Lear finally find salvation. The importance of baptism and Christian ritual is emphasized in the story's ending. The Children of Lear remains a beloved fairy tale in Ireland, with many published translations and artistic depictions. It lives on as a timeless reminder of the history and identity of the Irish people, blending the traditions and stories of the past with the faith of the present. Today, real-life swans continue to paddle and swim along the many rivers and lakes of Ireland. Perhaps their song travels into the mythic She Mounds, where Bove Dirug, Lear, and all the other Tua de Danann listen from beneath the earth. The song is a melancholy reminder of a civilization lost to time and four children who will never return home. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the Children of Lear, amongst the many sources we used, we found Eugene O'Curry's 1883 translation of the original Irish text extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday we dive into another dark, classic tale. 
And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology Was Created by Max Cutler is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Colin McLaughlin. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Jerry Courtney Austin, Susanna Corrington, Sky King, Harris Markson, and Steve Pinto. I'm Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>